0: Hello and welcome to the Stack Magazine's podcast, my name is Stephen Watson, I'm the founder of Stack and this week we've got a recording from the Stack Live event we held at the book club on Tuesday the 23rd of May featuring some of the most interesting and exciting black and minority ethnic magazine makers who are working at the moment. There's been a real boom in independent magazines made by people of colour here in the UK, and specifically here in London, so we invited a group of them together for a panel discussion at the book club, and it was a really fun, totally fascinating evening of magazine makers speaking about basically why they do the things that they do. This is a long one, it runs for nearly an hour and a half, but as you hear, there was a lot to say, so um, I hope that you're going to enjoy it. I'm very pleased to say that this podcast is sponsored by Park Communications. They were there with us on the night, showing off Their shelves full of magazines and as ever they were totally swamped by people wanting to pick up the mags and touch them and sniff them and all the rest of it. If you are thinking of starting a magazine and you need to get the thing printed uh, you can't do much better than giving them a call to find out what's going on with it and if you're already making a magazine you might want to drop them a line and see if they can help you out in some way too. You can read about the stuff that they do and contact them at park.com.co.uk. That's park.com.co.uk. As I always say, they are genuine print enthusiasts and they really know what they're doing. Okay, that's enough of the promotional bits. I hope that you enjoy this episode of the Stack Magazine's podcast. Thanks for joining us at this special Stack Live event on uh, British, black and minority ethnic publishing. We're here tonight because the last 12 months have seen a real surge in magazines being made by editors and art directors and publishers uh, of, of people in the UK who are black or minority ethnic. And I really particularly wanted to bring together a bunch yeah. of these people tonight to speak about it so running down the line we have uh Marielle i just realized Marielle. i don't know if it's no or n-o, no. Marielle, no <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, she's the assistant arts and culture editor at galden's so it's a, a collective and website and magazine all uh, published from the perspective of um black uh women of, sorry women of color yeah and uh, uh, we have uh, Campbell Addy, the founder of NEJOURNAL. Journal. This is a magazine on issues of empowerment and representation in race. We have uh, Rona Azima, the founder of 3rd Magazine. Which is an intersectional magazine exploring culture, heritage and diversity. And right here we have Jason, Nico and Ann the co-founder of Signatures magazine, which is looking at creativity from Africa and the African diaspora. <laughs> <The White> up. <laughs> now there's, the, so the, the, the newest magazine that we have here tonight is third. So am I right in saying that it literally was launched last week? Yes. <laughs> that is new. When I was putting all this together, I wanted to take something from your editor's letter because I thought that there's something about the power and kind of confidence and direction that you're writing with that I'm going to kick off with tonight. So, if you're not used to seeing a figure like yourself in art or media, there's a feeling that comes to your gut when those outlets recognize something deep within you. Many of us live in metropolitan cities where mixing with people of different races and cultures is part of the fabric of life. And yet when it comes to giving space to diverse bodies and identities, representation is always marginal, if even present at all. If you're a person from any minority community, like POC or LGBTQ+, you know that the need to discuss diversity never goes away. What fighting for diversity really means is a constant struggle to be seen, to be heard, to be understood, and to have equal access. In third, we wanted to create a space to engage deeper with what diversity actually means. To be a voice and a platform for the individuals and the communities that don't often receive the space to celebrate and be celebrated in mainstream culture. I read that and I was like, I, I know exactly what you're doing. Can you tell us why you started doing this in the first place? What, what led you to it? Um,
1: if I'm being really honest, I think the first thing that sort of led me to want to create third alongside other people as well was frustration, um, just because there was a lack of representation of diverse bodies, and um, we were just becoming quite aware to um, all the issues and all that sort of connect with people who are from minorities and who do have maybe, like, uh, intersectional identities. Um, So this awareness, I guess, sort of, led to a sort of frustration or with what was actually out there, um, and we thought it would be important and also very rewarding and beneficial to create a space where these things could be at the forefront, instead of just being like a topic that is discussed when it's hip or when it's in. So that's kind of what led to birth being created. We also wanted to make it a celebrational space, and not too much a space that was centred on it, um, the issues or the problems solely. Um, so that's what's led, what led to birth and it is a
0: beautiful magazine.
1: Thank
0: you. it yeah. <laughs> a, a quick show of hands, who's seen third already? A few people here. So the good <laughs> news is we have copies that are gonna be sold at the end, so you can come and take a look for yourself. Um, let's go right down to the end, Mario. So same question to you. Tell us, first of all, what Galdem is and why you're doing it.
2: So Galdem is a online and printed publication and a collection of women of color who are producing artwork and writing about anything they want so sim- similarly to you we were, we were looking to address um, a lack of representation um, of women of color in media and in publishing quite often when you see women of color being able to get their voices out there or have their pieces published it's about one particular topic it's always about talking about race or gender it's always talking about the struggle um, when actually we've got things to say about everything there is a perspective that's not being told in um, mainstream media so um the purpose of galdem is to show that the news you read from mainstream publications does have a bias because it is written from a largely white largely male largely middle class perspective um, and when you can talk about the news politics fashion music art anything and you're talking about it from a woman of color's perspective you'll get a different view you'll get a different understanding of what's going on so that's what we're aiming to do it's just Redress this balance. Campbell, sent to you. Um,
3: so, with me journal. It started during my final year at university, and it wasn't really born out of say a need to create work for people of colour. At first, it was born out of my own educating of oneself. So there's a lot of things. I grew up, I grew up in quite a white area and grew up in a very religious household which really, really talk about your black issues. And as I traveled to New York, almost being arrested for just walking on the street, to going to Korea, being profiled because of how I look, then going back to Ghana, where I'm from, and learning about my history, I realized there's a massive, massive hole in terms of education that I didn't know about myself. And then there were just stories I wanted to tell, and stories I wanted to, explore with my friends. But then when I would send them to publications or think about publications to even send them to, I'd have to manipulate them and have to assimilate to what their idea of what I am as a black man. So then I thought, forget it, I'm going to create something that's going to talk about issues and themes that are underlying, but in a subtle way so it will trickle into those minds without screaming and shouting so like our slogan is here to educate not irritate because i was like a child who learned how to tie a shoestring shoestring. every time i learned something i had to tell someone i was like oh my god you know this happened and then people were like oh can you shut up But then i was like no i don't need to shut up because you i've had to spend 23 years assimilating to you now you're going to listen but you can listen and smile if you want. So that's what New Journal's about. It's just about stories in a different way that's just there to represent what we can't always nat- naturally represent in the mainstream media. And how, how have you felt about the way it's gone? Because
0: I remember, was it September last year when, it, when you launched? Uh, May last year. So. May last year, okay, all right. So I remember, maybe it was around sort of September last year, I started seeing New Journal everywhere. Like, you were all over the place. Something. Was, <laughs> was, was this something that... Because if this begins as a personal project and something that you're doing for yourself and you're trying to understand things, how does that strike you? How do you feel it's about that? scary. I was like, what the hell? I was, it was just
3: a bit like... It was the first time in my life that I'd actually put my heart and soul into something and I was just overwhelmed by the response even from, I used to to get like letters from people. Um, I understand the struggle you've gone through. I like how you've explained it. And it then clicked with me that there's a deficit and it's in many, many different areas in the creative industry and the educational system. And for me, it just sort of spurred me on. So then it sort of trickled into my own personal work. Then I launched a modeling agency agency from the new journal which was about representation, because not only is are we not represented in terms of media or imagery, we're also not represented in the most mundane things such as advertising. So I thought, if you aren't going to represent them, I can't sit here and wait for someone to do it for you. So that's what what ran about autumn last year, all the press that was happening, I was like, I need to not just sit on my laurels and go, thank you, I need to sort of Keep pushing. Jason, I'm gonna come, Sorry, mate. I don't, <laughs> don't know. No, no. That's not fair. I'm good. I'm, good. Fair. <laughs> right. um,
4: I'm Jason, i Jason, um, co founder of Signatures. Um, we are a team of three. Um, my brother and co founder, Julian Iguanen, also known as Jules, a DJ producer. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, also, Cara Jessica, she's in the crowd. My um, art director. Um, signatures is kind of an intersection of all the titles, in a sense. Um, we kind of converge. Um, it's where everything else converges because we focus specifically on the creative process. Um, a lot of times with African arts and just like Black minority ethnic arts, we see you know people showcased, and we have like really like. Professional, kind of like buff profiles of like people who've made it and you know these amazing artists, but we don't know exactly how they get from you know a canvas or a sketchbook to a finished product. So, focusing specifically on the process and the details is kind of um, that's basically what we do. Um, In terms of origins, um, it was a bit of frustration as well as obsession because when I was young. I used to obsess over like the little details because I was trying to figure out like how to be a graphic designer, how to make videos, and you know you go on YouTube and you geek over like interviews and stuff, and you, you see people's studio spaces and you say, oh, they've got what on top of the here, and they've got oh this kind of sketchbook and they've got this type of pencil and they've got this type of desk space and you know stuff like that. So the magazine kind of showcases like those gritty details of process. Um, we focus on three things, passion, process, and pursuits. And that's how we've kind of navigated African creativity on the continent and the diaspora um, with our first issue, which is um, the growth issue. Um, we basically explored the theme of growth from different perspectives, um, personal growth, creative growth, lack of growth, um, growth, growth. <laughs> um, it's like different perspectives of growth and just um, looking at it from different you know perspectives and different creatives and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's great. Uh, and so how long has this process, how has this project been in the works? Um, so initially it was a vlog. Um, I was looking for another magazine back in Ghana, um, where I'm from. And I was doing a bit of video content and uh, this was like 2009 yeah. And just like kind of like recording all these creatives that I knew and just trying to figure out like what their process is. Um, the magazine didn't use it, so I decided to use it for myself. And um, I called it Signatures because every single artist has their signature statements. You know, everybody has their signature style, their signature aesthetic. Um, you know, so just I figured Signatures was kind of like something that represented identity in a, in a kind of like double entendre kind of way of just like, you know, you need to sign, you need, you need to put your signature down before you sign your cheque, it's like a sign of approval. It's like a sign of approval, it's a sign of identity, it's, and, and I like parallels, so that's kind of like where the name came from, so it was a vlog. Um, we launched issue zero in December 2015, um, just to like test the waters and see you know, what worked and what didn't, and last year in October, we launched issue one, so yeah. And so, what made it October last year? What was it? Just like the stars were
0: aligned? What was the thing that was right about that time?
4: Um, I think I just learned a lot. Again, process. So even process is kind of reflected in the things that we, my brother and I, learned um, from issue zero. Um, editorial direction is like extremely important for a magazine, and I, I interned at HUB Magazine, which is like just down the road. For kind of funny, but. I learned like you know not every single person deserves a Q&A because some people are boring <laughs> and you know just you know different aspects of like what what an article should be like pro profile like you know um, Q&As like editorials it's, I didn't know any of that stuff I was just like kind of like documenting my friends and just like you know tell me about your process you know what are your influences inspirations what are you want to do in 5 years like very linkedin Kind of like formats, this just um, yeah, just you know, I just we both learned a lot of things. Um Julian, obviously, from his music, you know, perspective and like his industry insights, you know, we learned kind of like how to curate, you know, and how to please, you know, mainstream and just like you know indie scenes and stuff like that. So it's just like the stars aligned in terms of just like what we learned and what we were ready to go forward with
0: Okay, so for you it's was a lot to do with the stuff that you'd actually learned, you were ready to, to make that step. Yeah. Ronan, so what is it about last week? How, like what made, <laughs> what made it happen then?
1: Um, well, I think, well, the way 3rd started off anyway was we were online. Um, so we had sort of editorials running online, we had interviews running in the mind section online. And we have a soul section as well. So we've kind of got the concept or the structure of the magazine in place. Um, and I think we kind of wanted to go into print just to solidify actually who we were. Um, and also to make third more of what sh- what we actually intended to be, which is kind of like a collectible piece, something that you can uh, keep with you and you can read and you can go back to. Um, and on the internet, it was great because obviously we were able to tell people about us before we actually launched. Um, but it was a tiny bit more tangible. Everything that we did was just separate uh, So for the first issue, when we were working out, we wanted to do uh, it around community. I guess we all had ideas of people we'd like to speak to and um, what we'd like to um, like in, involve in the issue as well. And for us, the, the process was a bit like, similar to you. It was very much step-by-step, step, working out who we speak to, um, speaking to them, and also learning. I guess in me as well. I'm, I've, um, I come from a fashion background. So in terms of the editorials, I, we were all quite strong and looking at stuff and being like, that's perfect. But from an, like, um, a writing perspective, we really wanted stuff that would go quite deep. So I almost had to train myself not to like cut things, because the thing to do is to be like, OK, that's too long, so no one's going to read that far. And I had to be like, no, actually, this is really good information, and we going to let this be here, and it's going to be a really, really long article, but you're going to get something from that. So that was kind of the process for us. It's very much like being like, this is the way I know you do it, but this is how we're going to do it, because this is who we are.
0: That makes a lot of sense. So you, you were online first, and uh, Marielle Galden is I mean, so that you start online as well. Yeah, it's been, and still is very much so.
2: Yeah, most of our content is published online, and the print edition is an annual publication, um, and the two are quite separate. So um, the regular submissions we get for online work, it's not something that we're going to then mine for the print editions. Any submissions for print is handled very separately. Um, we might like post stuff that's been particularly well received in a print issue online afterwards, but we like to keep those two worlds quite separate. Um, I think because having an on, an online magazine is a very different beast to having a a print document, as it were. Like Gaaldem is a print it is a print magazine, but it, it is I don't know if you guys have seen it, it's huge. Like, it's, a, <laughs> it's huge. It's it's like an archive more of like what young women of colour in Britain were thinking and feeling and saying um, in the year that we published it. So the first issue was Galhood. It was all about us starting up um our experiences growing up as women of color kind of lots of the editors were leaving university we were all kind of finding our feet second issue is going to be home so it's the same sort of thing like this is an archive of what we're feeling doing what's happening around us um in this particular year so it doesn't always suit to have the same content in print as in online because online is way more immediate uh, you've used the word archive a couple of times. It seems like you're you're aiming for something
0: that has that timeless quality. You yeah. want something to look back at.
2: Exactly, yes. Yeah. So I think like, although, although the online content does live on there for as long as, as we have the website up there, hopefully it will live on forever, there is a, there's a real difference between having something that you printed at a particular time, that you made at a particular time you said, we're here and we're doing this right now, to you know, constantly updating a website with new content. I do feel like a printed document is much more of a like statement of presence and intent than online is.
0: And people always talk about that fact that there comes a point where you have to print it. Yeah. And that's <laughs> it, it's finished. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's done. Even if you don't want it to be done.
0: <laughs>
3: Campbell, you were, so you were print from the beginning. You, you started out like that. <laughs> um, the original idea was to be online because of cost issues um, but then as I was creating the work, and reaching out to more people, getting more contributors, I just, I just thought about, I'm making it for me, how am I, and I'm really lazy. And I'm just like, I scroll and I like, but then I'm like, I never really read something. Well, I'm dyslexic, so how I take in information is very different. However, I do buy magazines. I have cult magazines that I've always bought, and I'll always read. So I'm like, it's not a case of oh, I'm dyslexic, I can't read. So before deciding whether to be print or digital, I posted a link on my Facebook, and it was like, Oh, Pokémon's coming to London, blah, 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 blah. but it was an April Fools' type of thing, and so many people liked it, and I was like, Did you? Y'all don't read. <laughs> I was like, You guys do not read, so I'm not going to. And then everyone's like, Oh, like two people, like, oh, I can't even post that. It's such a Um, a tease then it got me thinking a lot of my immediate friends will not read and there's no way I'm putting in all this time into it and then I literally just collected all the stuff I'd done I was like 50% away just printed a proof and just having it in my hands I literally for that moment I was reading it I didn't go on my phone Um, it was bound in 140 pages it was there for me to read it wasn't for me to scroll and save and come back to. It was there, and I had to take the time to look at it, look what other people had written, other people had shot. And it just made me think, do you know what? I'm so HDSG running all over the place. This is really calming. and I want to produce this for other people. So I thought, I'm going to, and I don't know how the hell I was going to do print. i never been doing it in my life. But I was like, I'm going to try and just put it out there, and then the rest is history. You mentioned
0: that you have like your collection of like classic magazines. So what do you look to
3: for inspiration in the sort of work that you're doing? For me, like even though like I read really a lot of magazines now that I used to, I wouldn't say I look for them for inspiration. I never want to plagiarize. We live in a very um, regurgitated era. We have tumblings, yeah. so when it comes to creating inspiration, especially for the second issue that's coming out. It was I sat down and I took like a weekend off. I didn't go on my phone. I said, what issues are really bugging me? But what issues can I not talk about with my boyfriend? What issues can I not talk about with my friends? And it was those issues that I just wrote down on a bit of paper that these are issues I'm going to tackle. And then I just started researching, I started looking into so I watched a lot of documentaries. Because, um, as I said, in it's, sex, it's reading is quite hard to retain information, to watch a lot of documentaries, to go to a lot of talks. Um, and I try to travel. I try to go and go to my fellow brothers in New York and be like, I am a black man, but I'm a very different black man to you. And tell me what's going on. I don't ever want to be like, oh, blah, blah, blah. I don't know what you're going through. Because that's just, you know, it sort of squashes the issues. and. So like one of the main threads throughout the next issue is mental health, because it's something I always had around me, like I suffer from my family and friends, but you're told to pray depending on what community you're from, or you're told, oh, you're just gay, it's a thing, or because you're gay, you have a mental illness, or even it's like a, a statistic that because I'm a black man, I'm 25% more likely to have mental illness. And it's things that I learned this year, which I was like, "Wow, well, if I had sex, my life would be a whole lot easier." So it's things like that I'm thinking: if I can create those things that directly affect me, like I did in the first issue, I'm sure there'll be other like-minded individuals who will
0: enjoy it. So it's it's back to this idea of it being a very personal experience for you. You're putting your experience into the page.
3: Well, yeah, because I I remember like I studied arts since I was like four years old. And I'd always, I'm crying to my teacher, my brother's better than me at drawing this apple. And she's like, yeah, but we could all draw it to one apple. We each have a different outcome. But it's what you put onto the page. So I try and keep that foundation, like whether it's my photography or the modeling agency or the magazine, just what I genuinely feel is honest to me. And no matter what anyone says, so long as it comes from deep within, I can't, if that makes sense. Rona, you're, so you're from a fashion background.
0: How much of what you do in like your day-to-day work in fashion has influenced what you're doing with the print Um
1: I think quite a lot of it. I think, um, interestingly enough, I do think, as, as a stylist, I do a lot of tutorials. Um, and it's, it's quite time-consuming doing editorials. And I had to almost step back from, a lot of the stuff I was doing for other publications to focus on what I was doing for third. It was quite liberating as well just because, as I was saying in the beginning, that frustration of having to uh, almost defend your ideas constantly and as Campbell said, to reshape your ideas because you know like uh, an editor's not going to take to it because it doesn't fit in with their narrative of how they want you to, to present it. Having not to do that, I feel like I found a real confidence in myself um, which I think is going to make my work a lot stronger uh, and will make the issue, the issues that come a lot stronger as well. Just because a lot of research, you, you do a lot of research when you do editorial work, when you, you do um, editorial stories. So um, that's how I think it will influence my work. Uh, and Marion, I guess it must be a slightly different
0: experience for you because you're part of this pretty big collective. Yeah. So, so how many people
2: are, are, are in there? So, I'd say there's about 80. Regular contributors. <laughs> hey, sorry. No, so, this, so this, so this, includes like all of our regular writers, illustrators, sub editors, editorial team, um, people who we collaborate with for events, uh, for exhibitions. It is really huge, and I and and I think that that's testament to how much all these women of colour have felt squashed. Like, you can produce one piece of content, only there's one piece of content, and you're only going to get published if you talk about this as soon as galden started there was floods and floods of people contributing i was i was uh, in london when uh live the team started it in bristol and as soon as i saw it on facebook i was like i need to be part of this so it was definitely like a universal feeling that's the reason why there's so many of us <laughs> yeah and it's growing and,
0: and so you're so you by definition then you have to work as part of a much bigger team
2: yeah yeah so it is it's um it, it can be difficult at times because there are so many moving parts, but um, it is really a collaborative process putting together the pieces on, on the website and in the print edition. So when submissions come in and pictures come in, they'll go through the editorial team, um, then we'll work with illustrators and sub-editors to make sure that the pieces look good and read well on the website. It's a really, really, really collaborative process. Um, so there are, there are like, there are problems with that sometimes. It can be a slow process because you have so many different people, but it means that when anything goes up, you can definitely say that, that there are so many people who have contributed and are proud of this work before other people then get a chance to read it.
0: But You've mentioned a couple of times about this idea of there are certain things that a British woman of colour can write about. So there, there, there are boxes that you get put into. Yeah. <laughs> and it strikes me when I'm sort of doing my research and, and reading what other people have written about your magazines, they're introduced with the race first. So you, and I'm interested, is that, is that empowering because you're saying, okay, well I'm trying to get out in front of this thing or actually
2: is that in itself limiting? I think that there there are, there's, that's a really hard question. Um, (laughs) uh, I think it is really, really important for us to say that these are pieces of work being made by women of color. the work that we put out, it, we're incredibly proud of the fact that we are giving a platform to women of colour. So, from that, of course, gender and race and the intersection of those um, comes to the forefront and it's the first thing people think about. What I wouldn't like us to be considered as is a publication that only ever discusses women of colour issues, as it were, that that understanding that we're only ever going to talk about the struggle, as it were. Um, no, we're talking about everything. And, the whole point is that these voices haven't been heard before. Uh, they haven't been given a chance before. So there are avenues that haven't been explored before by women of colour. Um, yeah, it's a fine it's a fine line to, to walk between having race as the kind of race and gender as the backbone and the identity of your magazine, between it being the reason that your magazine exists.
0: Jason, you're nodding hard.
4: <laughs> yeah,
2: super hard. Um... I mean, first
4: of all, it's not a binary thing. I mean, it can't be either or. There is a strong sense of empowerment, I think, by mere definition of, like, you know, being a magazine that tackles identity to some degree. It is empowering. Um, However, um, as far as the the limitations, go, I think, most times, those limitations are projected on us. Um, So, I don't know, like, A a running trend for the past couple of years has been like, in terms of like mainstream platforms, kind of like covering like magazines like us. You know, there's kind of like a very derivative kind of like headline of like this magazine will change the way you think about this ethnic group kind of thing. You know, it's like, I mean, like two thousand and sixteen was like the year of people changing the way you think about. (laughs) you change the way you think about women I think a lot of those i mean I, I, mean, I study consumer behavior both so psychologically I mean that's called a projection bias where like you project certain you know things onto like you know certain you know other things it's just um one example I have I guess would be um let's say skateboarding in Ethiopia for instance i mean like it's amazing that, you know, there are certain like subcultures growing, like Africa for instance. Like there's a there's a crew called Waffles and Cream in Nigeria and then there's another there's Ethiopia Skate, there's like an organization that's like building a a playground, a skate park in Addis Ababa. Um, where the projection bias comes in is like where whites mainstream platforms are project in a certain sense of like, oh wow, I didn't know black kids could skate, kind of thing, <laughs> and I think that is very dangerous. So that's where the limitation comes in, where you make these assumptions about what the you know the publications are. I think there's a lot more depth to everything that we do. Knee um, Journal is not just like you know a, a black magazine that you know has like models and stuff. It's you know, it, it has depth of sexuality and, 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 and you know, um, identity and, and fashion and there, there's nuance to everything that we do. Um, that nuance doesn't get showcased a lot because, you know, some platforms are doing their diversity quota and they're just like, kind of like, you know, this is the word... I need to stop doing that voice. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, it's going down really hard, you should be. Yeah, but I mean, I think that's the limitation of um, I think it's more empowering than anything. Just like the limitations don't come from us. Yeah. Um, we can only just um, kind of like focus on the strengths of, of, of what it means to... Because identity is a very nuanced thing. Being African, being Ghanaian, you know, West Africa, East Africa, South Africa, there's so many complexities in our identities. And I think that's kind of what Signatures is about. Um, funny enough, it was initially just going to be solely about Ghanaian creatives, but then we decided to kind of bridge the gap and look at you know, where other countries can inform and influence what we do and vice versa, because some countries have more established creative industries, some don't, so, um, yeah, I just, uh, yeah, that's, I guess that's the question. So. Okay, so uh, we've got a lot of people in
0: tonight, and I'm sure there are going to be questions, so I'm going to ask the questions in just a minute, but I want to kind of like finish this thought off. This is a question to all of you. So, on a related point to that then, do you feel the pressure to become or the danger of becoming the magazine of black, or minority, ethnic or people of colour? Is there a danger that you rise to the top and then you kind of blot out the light from other people getting that?
4: No. <laughs> I just
3: think, like, us sitting here, on third last week, me last year, you in September, you in October, it's something, it's like, how do I put it, it's like, it's like you're in a classroom for the kids and you say it's playtime, they are all going to run for the door. If you give the opportunity, more and more of us are going to come up and it's not going to be a matter of who's the best or who's going to take over, it's going to be the um, issue of, oh, girl that wrote this article, i never thought about that before. This is really enlightening because we're all multifaceted people, and that's all we're trying to say. It's like the same that me and my friend Ibrahim say we're living, we're not surviving. Literally, that's <laughs> all it is. And it's like, I when Journal* first came out, I was so confused when I'd be asked to do interviews. I'm like, so tell me what like to be a black photographer. And I'm like, I don't know, what's it like to be a white woman? <laughs> I didn't understand the question. I didn't understand that the skin colour made the work different. Like I got turned away in the first couple of stocking places. Oh, I'm not sure whether graphic like or cup of tea. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, white person actually shot that, but it's cause there's a black face to it. You're like, oh, okay, maybe not. So I think in terms of whether we're gonna take over or people, I don't think it's gonna be like that because you have Vogue, and you have Tatler, and you have I.D. and you have Days. Every magazine has a place. But I think what's probably gonna be different than the ones that have come before us in different genres is the companionship. Like, I rate these magazines. I'm like, yeah, it's on my Instagram, I'm like, go for it. There's no, for me, there's no competition, because if there starts the competition, you're fighting the cold. There's a bigger fish to fry than, oh my god, get on to the magazine at home. <laughs> the do at, like, The Basement. <laughs> I
1: think,
3: <laughs> when I'm old, and I like Ricky the old rock chair, then I could be better. I think for now, it's uh, more of us to America.
2: I yes, yeah. Yeah, I, think, so. I think for when you're in a minority group, um, there is always this expectation that there is one dominant voice and there is one perspective. And OK, you only need one publication. You guys have got it covered. Okay, you've done the black thing. You've done it now. We don't need any more. But like you said, there are so many nuances. We're all doing different things, we're all representing different, different elements of the black minority ethnic experience. Um, and there will be so many more people to come. I think what's what's happened in the last year or so is that probably a lot through social media and online communities, we've become aware of one another. Um, we've been able to build on our predecessors' successes. And, and so we're all a lot more visible. Um, and yes, maybe this is the point at which people are expecting one, one publication to come out of this, but that's not how it's going to be. Like you said, white media doesn't doesn't have this struggle of whether or not there is one voice or one way of telling a story. So, yeah. Well, I think the interesting thing is it. So
0: in the mainstream, it does. So they' like when you you know like, Vogue and GQ will go mm. to war with each well, other. No, sorry, they don't. the same. <laughs> <laughs> GQ and Esquire will go to war with each other. But in the independent side, it just doesn't really happen the same
2: way. I think maybe that's also to do, I think it's also to do with like money, as it were, like we're not actually, we're not actually fighting for an audience, as it were, in the same way that we've got very different perspectives. We probably have got different nuances to our audience as well. People who will be like diehard Galden fans might not have like considered that they need to also be reading further, they need to also be looking at signatures for their content. So, Yes, there are nuances to the audience the same way there's nuances to our to our to the um, content that we produce. Um, you know, maybe in the future we'll be like mad competitors with each other. <laughs> but for the time being I think it's yeah, we're good.
0: Alright, so while it's all still friendly up here, do we have any, any questions from the audience? <laughs> <Okay>. so, many, <laughs> so many people in this room have got any questions here we go. It's very interesting to hear you guys say, talk about your experiences. Um, do you guys take into account people like
2: me, who I'm not from, I'm Spanish, I'm not from Ethiopia. Um, do you take into account my wide experience when reading your publications?
4: Because you were talking about how you educate, and I, I love that
0: aspect of that. Or do you kind of uh, target your content
2: to your community more specifically? Mm. Well, for me, specifically... Can you
0: summarise the question, please? So can... Oh, sorry. Oh, so, uh, sorry. Thanks, please. The question was about audience, and so, are you making your magazine for
3: a black minority ethnic audience, or is it broader than that? Um, well, my boyfriend's wife, and at first, it was just Danny, me teaching me and him the real shit that goes down It was, it's was literally hours of sitting there listening to like watching Oprah getting attacked in some racist country on a tv show like the 80s to like watching Roots and be like oh my god and then you realize hey, he's from Lithuania and I'm from England yet you both don't and I'm black and I don't understand anything I don't know anything about my history so for me it's not about whether you're brown, white, from Asia, from Scotland, it's just only do you understand these things happen and I'm going to show you in the work. So I don't really think about this is for a black audience because in my head, the more educated, the privileged are. When they privileged start like, talking about issues that affect the minorities, then it's not just the minority screaming, it's a world issue. So, yeah. I
1: would say, I think one of the best ways you can learn is via because I would say Bird is quite, a transfor- we see it as quite a transformative magazine, but not transformative in the way of, we are teaching you stuff, I learn stuff through making Bird, And I think one of the best ways you can learn stuff is by being a good listener. So I want to say, 3rd like, is also an intersectional magazine, so what we try to do is touch upon issues that maybe affect different types of minorities. So as a woman, you could be a minority, as a man who wants to be feminist you can also be a minority and it's about giving these people who have that experience that that platform and that access to talk and to, t- to tell people about their experience and via that that's how you learn so it's not really so much about thinking about the audience it's more about trying to have honest conversations with people where you're being curious and you're asking people and they're giving you their truth and via their truth maybe you learn something um, I guess um...
4: I think again editorial direction is like very important as far as like reaching out to audiences um, with a magazine um, as far as like actually like making the efforts to focus on like a, a white readership not necessarily so however I feel like it's important to understand that there are certain subcultures and and you know scenes in Africa and in Ghana, for instance, that definitely need to be showcased and and have like a very editorial seriousness, I guess, because um, the creative community in Ghana is very small, especially in a prize. Like, you know, it's a small one, Everybody knows everybody. So one of the challenges is how do I put stuff in a magazine about stuff that you already know? Um, so I think editorial direction and having a, an angle and having a particular focus is kind of the priority. Making sure that everybody's interested, even, you know, even audiences that look like me. Because, you know, if I was to buy a magazine about my brother, i need to know something that I don't know about, for instance. You know, so there are a lot of, you can't make assumptions that, you know, Ghanaians know everything about each other. So. I guess that's kind of like the main focus like having editorial intent i guess
2: yeah i would say um, no like galdem is not written with the needs of a white audience in mind that's not that's not what we're here to do if you learn something from the, the content that we put out that's excellent that's great um like like you were saying so i think i think if if you are a white audience or an audience that you or an audience that isn't um isn't reflected in the writership of Gaudan. The most that we can do is hope that you listen, that you that you read what we're saying, and you listen to it rather than trying to speak over it or I don't know, analyse it from a from a very specific white white um, perspective because it's it's not written for a white perspective.
1: Any questions?
2: How did you overcome your like initial teething problems with like funding and like getting contributors to actually agree to do something and actually follow through with
0: it? So uh, this is the question we get every time for every <laughs> magazine event, it, it's, the, it's um, how do you do it? So how do you get
3: the money together for it, how do you commission, how do you find people to do it, how do you do it? Um, for me you know. I was as my last year of uni and I remember I was in Ghana and I was like, I'm going to do this magazine, what do I need to do? And I just sat there one day and wrote out, like aim high, land in the middle type of situation. And i just finished working with a photographer called Jamie Morgan. And he said to me, no, you you do in life if you're 15 or 50, if you approach someone have 99% of the job done, so all they have to do is say yes or no. So when approaching people, I spent months on a pitch. It was foolproof. Every question you could ask about it, what's it gonna look like, what size. I remember I went to a printing place and just closed my eyes, because I'm so dyslexic, you can't tell me what I'm feeling. They're like, oh, this is 300 GSM, sat well, I'm like, not going remember that. So I'm just <laughs> like, and I'm just like, this is what I wanted to feel like. So I just went with my instinct and I put it into a really concise PDF. Like I'm very lazy, i like no more than 10 pages, I'm not going to read them. and I was just like, this is what new journal is going to be, so then when I approached people, I approached people that I was like, could never afford even look at me, I hadn't done anything, and they're like, I'm only talking to you now, or I'm only contributing, because you've given me a pitch that people who work in the high end of fashion don't even bother to have that respect for, and I just thought, if I'm at say ground zero, I need to act like I'm at ground 10 so people listen to me and respect me and I just literally thought if it's 99% done all they have to say is yes or no and it generally was the case, well, I'm not interested or this is great how do we start and that's all I really did oh, Funding wise, I worked like a whore I did lookbooks, I did. I even did like hair ones. Like, no, sorry, Jin and Isaac, if you're out there. I did like. um, I did dog sitting, car washes. Like, no job was beneath me. I even did like LinkedIn profile headshots. That was like the end of the day. I was like. This is... And I even did like jobs for like brands. And I was like, sorry, I don't like. No, you don't like black people. But I'm going to take your money and put it into us. So I was like, I did everything I could do. I was like, if I've got a loan, so I can use that to pay my rent and expenses, and I can just quack, 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 to put it into an age other, which I still do now.
4: Um, As far as funding goes, we try to, you know, make it as very personal as possible. So I think it's, it's much easier to ask the people closer to you, um, you know, family, friends, that kind of thing. Um, Cause nobody wants to do a Kickstarter and embarrass themselves. This is like, you know, you know, when that goal doesn't get, it's a so, so um, and that's the thing. It's just like, kind of like um, kind of like the opposite of like what you're saying. Just like aiming high, I think it's just it depends on 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 your brand and just like kind of like, you know, you're, where you're starting from. I think. Till this day, um, I feel like we're starting backwards in a sense, because we don't have advertising yet. Um, what Julian and I have decided to do is basically work as hard as possible and create a buzz for ourselves and basically then use all the work that we've done as a pitch you know, for funding that we hope to get like, as of now. Um, but yeah, just like, starting with friends and family, people that definitely believe in you. Um, you know, just like, you know, proximity I think is key. Um, what
2: else was it besides funding? Are you saying about contributors, like how do you get? Oh, um,
4: friends, you know, just um, again, like I said, with the, with the creative community in Ghana, it's, it's helpful because everybody knows everybody and, you know, you know there's, a, there's a scene and it's it's helpful I just again I guess it's like a lot of a lot of contributors are friends and family so it's it's easier when you're working with people who believe in you um, and also just you know not screwing anybody over I guess is like the key thing um, you know if you're working with somebody for free at least kind of make the efforts to you know kind of invest in them and uh, not just use them as an accessory for your brand you know i think it's very uh, the way the community works is like there's very uh, a lot of, it's like an ecosystem so you know my magazine is basically a showcase of other people's work but then you also need to like maintain the financial aspect i guess um yeah
1: that's basically it I worked really hard as well, so I did the exact same thing. Oh, I'm sorry, I I had my jobs, so I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, Strangely enough, the the thing that really helped me was was post-it notes. So, like, when I was deciding to do this magazine, my head was full of loads of things, and I was just like, I don't know how I'm going to... Looking into advertising, I don't know how I'm going to. I don't know how I'm going to fund the magazine. I don't know. I didn't know a lot, but I did know what I did. Know. I did know what I did want, um, and I just started making lists basically. And I just uh, started making lists and also talking to people. So I had a team when I started, and some of the team are here too. And we just started talking about what we wanted to do, and like aiming high as well. So if you have that same thing that you said and almost just like gold post and things. So it was like, oh, we we need the media pack, and then we did the media pack, and then we were like, this is good, but we need to revise the media pack. And so we revised the media pack, and then we revised it again, do you know what I mean? So it's just really like finessing the basics till you get to the point that you're quite confident in yourself. Um, And then I think once you get to that point that you're quite confident in yourself, you know what what your brand is, you know what your ethos is, you know what you're deciding to write about, then you start talking to people, because at first, it's just a bit like, yeah, doing this thing, this magazine, yeah, yeah, don't talk to me about it anymore. Do you know what I mean? But um, very slowly, then you start saying to people, oh, okay, I'm trying to get this person in. And then you find that this person knows this person. Actually, Sabrina over there really helped me quite a lot of connecting me to people. So I think definitely just decide that you want to make it and just break it down into little steps. And then just just do it, really. And don't get offended by any rejection because... I have a wall now with all my post-it notes and like one side is massively, massively pink and blue and yellow and the other side for the projections is quite small, but it's it's still there, do you know what I mean? But if I had stopped at any one of those steps where like someone couldn't do something, I never would have got to where I am right now, which is this massive wall of just post-it
2: With Gelder, we were lucky enough that there are so many contributors that it was a huge pool of people to pull from, like emotionally, financially, for writing, and everything. Um, in terms of finance, it is a case of working really, really hard. Quite a lot of the time, you have to self fund um, and then hope that it's all going to work out at the end. <laughs> um, but there are so many grants that are available, so if you are aiming high, like, yeah, aim for the absolute stars, Arts Council England. It's got amazing grants that you can apply for. It doesn't need to be like hundreds of thousands of pounds. It can be like a couple of grants to get your your project off the ground. Um, So yeah, look for grants. Um, In terms of submissions, social media groups is actually like a really good place to find writers who want to get their voice heard. Um, like everyone knows there's all these like, woke black girl Facebook groups and everyone's got something to say <laughs> so <laughs> you can mind them <laughs> yeah. that's not a good place of <laughs> people yeah, if you, if you have a platform for people and they're already wanting to say something online then come on, make it into a full length article have your voice properly heard, get it published it's an attractive offer yeah, and
0: I should, uh, actually first of all I should say, I didn't mean to imply that was a bad question because that's what everyone asks. Yeah. Secretly what everyone here wants to know, like everyone wants to know like, how do you do it. Also, um, Arts Council England, are here in the room tonight, so I um, <laughs> <laughs> <are you> <laughs> think she might be a little bit busy. <laughs> you
1: know, with me. Okay, there's got a question over here.
0: So do, do you mean because your idea might get stolen? Or?
1: Stolen, or even in terms of like the right chemistry
0: when collaborating with people. So, so, so for anyone who didn't hear, so were you nervous about collaborating with, with people at the
3: Bookstance? Um, I was really nervous because I wasn't really part of like social media groups or any like woke groups. I just had my friends and when i had the idea i was really really like this is my baby i don't want to share it with anyone because one i'm hella paranoid. i am not seen that in the movie script in like six <laughs> months and then but then i was like i'm just going to test the water so i did little things like that facebook post and i sat I as like, i'm part of the generation of the internet i'm going to utilize it so i then started looking up social media groups and then just started reaching out to random people and just seeing what people were talking about. And then being a bit more social media savvy. So I, w- I would never interact with people on social media. I just feel like I can't just like, call my phone. Mm-hmm. And then I started reaching out to people in Australia, in Zimbabwe, in South Africa, just sort of re- like joining the dots and realizing hang on, there is a conscious thought that's happening in mm-hmm. our generation. And then just sort of gave me that confidence to think, okay. Hey, whether or not i share my ideas and they get stolen it's my idea you can steal the idea but you can't steal the person so it's like release your ideas because there's no point in them being inside a little job like oh someone's gonna rob this idea <laughs> or even if someone had the same idea like um tyler mitchell and i collab from new york collaborated on the next one and we've been stalking each other for months we were both so shy but like, Side I know I for on here. And then as soon as I was like, yo, he's like, oh my god, we want to talk to you for so long. <laughs> so it's like you'd be so surprised when you let your guard down, you both have the same insecurities, and sometimes it's like you'll meet someone on the other side to collaborate with who has the strengths you need and vice versa. And then you have a long-term friendship with someone
4: who lives like sixteen hundred miles away, you know? So don't be scared, like, I think just to add to that, I think um, whatever you're scared of, you, whatever you're worried about, is probably what you will experience anyway. So I think the best thing is to just go ahead and do it. The reason why we we had the first edition, we called it Issue Zero, is because we knew that we were going to fail miserably. And um, don't say that. I mean, well, No we didn't we didn't know that we were going to fail, but we knew that this was basically gonna be like the learning, the learning ground. We, we had to learn from this issue. This, like, And that's the thing, like nobody can grade a zero because it's a zero. So that was also like the other thing, was, like we, we specifically called it issue zero. All the feedback that we, we got from issue zero about like too many Q and A's and too many images that I've already seen on the internet and um, you know, too much prevalence of, of, of kind of like wordy, you know, just kind of like abstract thoughts was all informed in issue one. So we had photo essays, we had editorials, we didn't do too many Q and A's, we did prose profiles um, What else did we learn? We, I mean, we learned several things that we wouldn't have learned unless we put out issue zero. Um, and I think in terms of, I know, I'm sure you're worried about ownership, but I guess, I think ownership is important because you... But the thing about ownership, for you to gain ownership, you have to have an identity. So the, the more you learn from your mistakes, the more you learn what it is that makes your magazine unique. And um, yeah, just, just go for it and, and don't worry too much about you know, someone stealing your idea. Shout out to Lupita and Rihanna. They are coming Oh, too soon? All
1: right. All right, we've got another question over here. Okay, so the
0: question is, um, how do you decide what's going to go in the magazine, and if there's something where you maybe like the idea,
2: but the writing's not quite there, do you kind of nurture them and bring them on? I think um, for Gelden, like I've been saying this over and over and over again, we're so lucky to have such a huge editorial team, that um, when we get a pitch, we're really excited about, and I'm pretty certain all the editors agree with me, if you're excited about it, but the writing needs a bit of work, we're happy to work with writers, Um, that's part of the process of being an editor. is to get someone else's idea out there on paper and make sure that they're communicating what they think the way they want to communicate it. Um, I think that if you are a young writer and you're concerned about submitting a pitch before you've like completely nailed down your writing, the independent publisher is probably the best place to start because the editorial teams there are probably more selective about who they want to work with. So if you have got a great pitch, they're going to work with you. Um, well, new
3: me, not like 80 other people, <laughs> but like, sorry, <laughs> um, um, so like for me it was just, especially for like the second one, the first one, I just scouted everyone, for the second one that's coming out, I got a lot of like people and like i'm not a writer i'm a photographer first but for me it was like i just had to think very very like just basic human feelings like does my gut really draw into this piece of writing and like i did writing for the first one No, many many silly mistakes but that was my art form that's how i pitched it so it's there's like writers this one girl who's from um, australia she wrote something for the next issue, and like a writer, about like, what is this nonsense? But I get it, like, my heart, like, I was bawling like a little girl, like, oh my god, <laughs> like, it was it was just like, um, how she wrote it was just really simple, there was no like kerfuffle, like big words, but it was from the heart. So, when it comes to me, journals, about how do you portray yourself, and like, obviously, you're gonna grow, you're gonna grow. I've got some um, editors that bought this issues like with grammar and things, but it's like how um, you said about and it's like, if there's a good pitch, you work with them. Because sometimes it's like, I have got pieces where it's like they're trying to just push that POC um, angle. And you're like, it's beyond that. It's like, what have you experienced yourself? So I'll never say to someone, or if you're not the best writer or the best photographer or the best stylist or the best whatever, not to pitch i like, pitch, and 9 out of 10, like, you will get feedback. If you don't get feedback, it's like, just keep going, because, like, the biggest conglomerate magazines aren't generally going to read it. The editors aren't going to see it until 2,500 people have gone through it. Um, like, most of my work when I first started shooting was independent magazines. They weren't the best, but then I'd get like, okay, do this, do this, do that. Or I just get sense to fulfilment that they can even try even though I know that this is, like... So it's like, you know, there's a bit of like, go for independent magazines and just, I just don't get, like, people are so scared, just, like, you're never going to see me if you email know me,
4: like, <laughs> I'm not going to pop up like, no, <laughs> like,
3: just, just drop an email at someone, if you don't get a response, like, i le- I never get replies, I don't hate them to be honest, like, I never get replies, but then I'm just like, there's always going that one person in a hundred emails. It's like, this is great. So just keep sending them off that email, I guess. Any more questions? One over here. Hi. Um, I've got a question about your picture and
1: what, where you guys going to be. So when we talk about independent publishing, we tend to talk about the power of our stories, and it tends to be passion projects, and people tend to be happy to do it alongside
0: All right. So this is about ambition. I think this is. So are you happy for your man just to look after itself, and that's all nice? Or are you? Okay. alright, We've got some no's. No, definitely not. The aim. The
2: aim for Galden is definitely the, the. editors we're all trying to push for this to become at least part-time work um, with the aim of eventually becoming like our full-time work and yes um you know an independent magazine is not it's not that profitable <laughs> um but in the long run like we're, like we're saying we're building up communities we're not just an online mag for a print publication we also do events exhibitions in the long run there is there is room for us to be able to be um sustainable outside of voluntary work um but yeah, I'd say that I don't think any of us are hoping that this carries on as like a passion project, this is... I haven't got <laughs> enough hair left <laughs> for it to <laughs> up, because, yeah. Like,
3: it's so stressful when you're like, I've got this idea, and then you go, OK, this is going to cost this much. You're like, OK, I'm not going to do it. It's just like... <laughs> <laughs> it's, just a bit, it's frustrating, but then it's like the best work comes out of that sometimes. But then it's like the first question about um, how did you even think of... have foresight do so I'm gonna do issue one. Like when I started issue one, I had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Then I'm gonna die. <laughs> but like I had foresight. For if the first issue can do this, then so forth. You have to have goals. Like it's not just about I'm gonna create an idea and it's gonna be great. You have to think about where do I sit in the world? Where do I sit in current media? What can I do that's different to taking or from FERD or from signatures? Because not that they competitors, but there's so many different magazines, I just, I just don't want to be saying the same thing or doing the same thing. So like, and especially know your strengths first. Like I know my strengths lie in photography. So I'm more visual based in terms of how I'm going to proceed in the next couple of issues. And it's like, no, I don't want to be like here, like washing cars and <laughs> looking after dogs in like five issues time. I wanna- there to be like a standard, and I want to be like, go back to my town in New Addington, like, yo, kids, go up to my school, we're gonna come work for me. And like, this, because I never had that. I didn't grow up looking at anyone that looked like me in my family or in my community that like, said, I work for myself or I know what the tax bracket means. Like, all these Because we all just work for like Top Shop, and then you get, you know, it's just a bit like. You have to think, okay, if I'm going to do this, it's going to be great. Because the worst thing, I think, is you do something that people love and then it fizzles out, because the generations below you will just see you fizzling out. No matter how big the introduction was, they'll just see you fizzle out. And they go, oh, well, she tried, or he tried, so I'm not going to. But if they see you succeed, it's like, oh, sick. I can be just like, Galgen. Like, so many of my friends are like, oh, God, since Galgen, like, I've gone to school to like, oh so like, go down. Like, yes, I do you know Girl Jelly it's like it's it's a sense of I don't know, this sense of okay I can do something, just the word yes. But you have to have that foresight to not just do one
1: magazine and but like, I'm gonna ride off that, you know. I think for access has always been like a major thing for us and we love to make what we respect, what we represent more accessible. In order to do that you need to grow. Um, and, and also we called ourselves third, for a little while it wasn't really like third magazine, it was more like third the platform just because in my head and I think definitely in the team, we'd love to do so much more than just a print magazine just because culture is so much more vaster. There's so many ways in which like, we could grow and influence that. So yeah, definitely have that foresight and it's, it's not just a passion project because it's way too hard. <laughs> yeah.
4: um, I guess the the vision is definitely to like um, you know make as much money as possible because um, we're trying to ball out of here. Um, I think I think um, in the long term the, the the ambition is to have a platform that documents the culture um, and I don't mean that in like a hip hop way the way people say it all the times, like for the culture. I mean in the sense of like. Um again like um over like certain like details and, and stuff like that. I, I'm kind of like obsessed with subcultures like skateboarding and, and, and hip hop and the way those um, subcultures work is that they're kind of like an ecosystem with hip hop there's you know DJs, graffiti writers and, 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 and dancers and they all kind of like evolved into like certain aspects of the of industries, you know. With skateboarding, you know, the people that made the skateboard decks became graphic designers, the people who filmed, you know, the skate videos became like directors in Hollywood, Spike Jones, um, you know, people like that. So I guess that's kind of like the ambition is to have, you know, play a part, play a role in the evolution of the creative scene and just not make it a, a URL kind of thing where it just exists online and where retweeting and liking our efforts because you know there's a a lot of stuff that happens online that doesn't exist in real life um so i think that's kind of like the ambition to like have a platform that physically and digitally has some relevancy um and also just kind of like you know educating and, and inspiring people because you know until recently, you know, if you went to Ghana and you told somebody that you're an artist, you know, that was like telling somebody that you're homeless. So it's like, you know, there's, um, there's, there's definitely a shift in, in the appreciation of, the, of, of craft and, and creativity in Ghana and, like, different countries. Um, so I think it's just having that kind of, like, validation that comes from ourselves is probably, like, the biggest, the biggest ambition, I would say. Alright, okay, thank you.
0: Um, I think we're going to leave it there for this evening, so can I have a massive round of applause for <laughs> the Okay, that's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed all of that. I decided to leave all the talking at the end, but just edited some of those questions down um, because the audio got pretty poor. Um, But I just thought that the whole thing was incredibly inspiring. I thought that this idea of a rising tide of black and minority ethnic publishing with new successes, kind of paving the way for others and showing new titles that they can do it too, um, is just a, a really exciting moment right now and I'm really looking forward to seeing what's going to come next. As ever you can hear more of our podcasts by going to SoundCloud or iTunes and searching for Stack Magazines. You'll find tons of conversations with magazine makers in there and of course if you enjoyed this uh, follow us while you're there and we'll deliver next week's episode straight to your phone as soon as it's ready. Alright that's it. Thanks again for listening and we'll be back with more next week.